Welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I am Chris Marone. And this is the Super Bowl week. This is the week we all have been waiting for. Apparently, the Supreme Court justices are waiting themselves as they have <laughs> taken the whole month off. They are still on right. break and will not be back to work until February 26th. I don't know if they are headed down to L.A. to catch the Super Bowl. Oh, I surely... Are. I'm sure they, they, they have their own suites, right? You're going to see a picture there of Breyer chumming right. it up with. You know, Breyer can do that. He's leaving the court now. Right. So. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. I mean, he takes some bribes, whatever. Breyer's whatever. good for it. He's, he's leaving. He doesn't worry <laughs> about those things anymore. Well, we're going to get to our Super Bowl thoughts and opinions and picks at the end of today. But first, let's talk about what is going on in the world of law this week. But before we get there, Chris, how was your week this week? You know, I had a rough week, Joel. I did. I had a good friend of ours passed away, and she's the reason why I, I have a, a deep love of baseball. And so she uh, she lost a battle with COVID, and she's greatly missed by everybody who knew her. I and am so, so sorry to hear that. That's how it got. Hey, you know what? It kind of puts things in perspective. We like to have fun on this podcast, but mm-hmm. life happens. Real life happens as well. And she got you your start into baseball coaching. Are we going to lose you to the the National League here anytime in the near future? Man, I will. I coach Special Olympics baseball, and there is nothing purer than watching a Special Olympic athlete play baseball. There is no ego. There is no dislike or no what's going to happen next season. There are no right. Aaron Rodgers in yes. Special Olympics baseball. All there is <laughs> hey. pure love of sport. Pure love of batting, pure love of running bases, pure love of it all. Nice to get that Aaron Rodgers dig in whenever you can. I appreciate that. Um, But, yeah, it is kind of fun when you deal with people at the ground level as far as enjoying sport. Right. Just to see the pure joy that comes in their face. Now, I just remember when my boys were playing baseball at the earliest of ages, it'd be they all would love the home run. And so they would hit that ball. The ball might go three (laughs) inches. I don't know. They start running and they don't stop until they cross home plate. They just want the joy of it. And it's just so much fun to see them. The worst experience I had watching is my oldest son was playing T-ball right way back at the very beginning. And you know how they have a pitcher there right <laughs> yeah that, that stands on the mound oh yeah yep yeah. so my son it was pretty strong for his age hit the ball so hard he smacked it right in the pitcher's mouth and so oh. blood was coming out all kinds of things like that felt horrible for it so the next time my son comes up to bat the pitcher is still there you know what the pitcher does of course covers put- his face He puts his glove over his face (laughs) to protect himself the next time around. But, hey, there you go. Um, My son maybe had a future in baseball, but I don't know. He he gave it up for tennis, and that is what we play. But, hey. If we, that's why we keep you around. You are our expert when it comes to baseball. I have no idea how that's going to play into our discussion. Well, the lockout. The lockout. We're going to have to talk about all sorts of laws relating to the lockout, how contracts are going to be paid out, the whole nine yards. That's going to be all in like three weeks we're going to be talking about. That just makes me so mad. I mean, I, I yes, know. we got to cover it. It is legal. It, it deals with, with unions, with negotiation, collective right. bargaining agreements, all, all kinds of, of law wrapped up into it. And it is sports. So we have to cover it. I'm going to have to keep a trash bag here while I throw up. I cannot stand how the owners and the players just can't come to terms. They're they're billionaires. They're millionaires. Come on, guys. Figure it out. But you know what? That is our job. We've got to cover it. And so we will uh, cover it here in a few weeks whenever it does happen. But first, of course, we have a football. Well, I was... I just want to throw this out there because you and I talked about it right before we started this podcast. One of these episodes, I want to have a discussion on the things that we do regularly in life that we have no idea why we do it. Here's what I'm talking about. I went to a basketball game last week and I am there during the national anthem and midway through the national anthem, I look across the, the, the stadium there and there is a guy who had his hat off and was over his heart. And the thought there is that you got to have your hat off during the national anthem to show proper respect. I then looked at another person 
that person had their hat off as they were singing the national anthem. And then I realized, Chris, I was wearing a hat and my hat was still on. Apparently I was disrespecting America. the national anthem. And then I, so I quickly took my hat off, but then I thought, why, why is it disrespectful to wear a hat? Chris, I know I just throw this on you I right know. before the uh, we came onto this podcast. I know we're going to analyze it this week, but do you have any idea whatsoever how that came to be a disrespectful sign to have you a hat on your head? You know, I think, and I, I, I think it's just an old wives' tale, right? Um, I think it came like uh, I want to say it was like old, old country, so like. I don't know, early Europeans, they took it off when they entered a room as a sign of respect or they didn't, they didn't want anything between them and God. I um, guess so. Uh, well, oh, I, you know what? It's uh, um, Military salutes come from when two knights would approach each other on a field of battle okay. and they would lift up their visor. So Interesting. It, it, it might come from like the idea of like a knight taking off a helmet when right. they're around go. people, they like, I don't, I, these are just things, random musings that are coming into my head right this now. This is Chris thinking at the top of his head quicker right. than you can even Google. You are just right. coming out with ideas at the top of your head. Of course, we will right. Google this and we will come up with the right answer. But one right. of these episodes, we're going to analyze. So, listeners, if you have any of these ideas of things that we do regularly right. that we have no idea why we do them. For example, I just sneezed, and you said, bless you. Some will say, God bless you. Why do we do that? Why does God? Right. Why should God bless me for engaging in the act of sneezing? I don't understand that, but one of these days, let's get the answer to that. But that is not right. going to be today. I just want to throw that out there for our listeners. If you have any idea of things that people do on a regular basis, and you have no idea why we do those things. Right. It, it, it's just tradition. It's custom. It's the norm. We want to hear from you. That right. being said, let's now talk about, Chris, I know your hero in oh. law. I've been waiting to talk about this case. This case is going on right now. There is a trial. Witnesses are being called. And today, your hero, none other than Ooh. Sarah Palin, went to the stand and testified for 15 minutes in court she'll be testifying more tomorrow as well but 15 whole minutes she must have been tired you know i don't oh. know what's going on there i don't know it's, yeah it's I a mean, long her, time her arms uh, are tired from flying in from alaska where she could see russia from her house don't you know you know what you lay off alaska have you been to alaska <laughs> yes i have it is a wonderful place. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It is amazing. I, I believe she's from Wasilla. And so I went out there to Wasilla. Beautiful place. I, I found during this recent pandemic, you can actually fly to Alaska for $325. I have no idea if that's still the going rate. But during the wow. pandemic, you could have done that. It is an amazing place to, to be. And yeah, you, all kinds of foreign policy training is who knows what you can see from different parts of, of, of Alaska. Alaska. Yep. But nonetheless, she is was on the stand here this week. She has sued the New York Times. And let's she unpack is. what this lawsuit is about. And then we'll get your thoughts on, on, uh, on this case. Mm -hmm. But what happened here was the New York Times ran an editorial uh, about Sarah Palin, and this was after the shooting, some shootings that that occurred. Right. And the 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 person who wrote this editorial's name was Bennett, and this person compared or blamed Sarah Palin's pack for the shooting of of a U.S. Representative Gifford. There is a Gabby Gifford from uh, from Arizona. Yeah, yeah. There was a shooting there in Arizona. I'm sure you're you're familiar with that. Very and much so. so this edit this editor said look sarah palin and her caustic environment her, her caustic rhetoric is to blame for these shootings and what this editor said they said look what she put on her or uh, her mailings on her information is she had this uh th this document that showed the different democrats including gabby gifford of, of arizona in the crosshairs, like it's in a rifle, uh, you know, uh, right. is that called a scope? scope? Yeah, yeah, in a scope. 
in other words, she did it. So her picture allegedly had all these different Democrats and, and Gabby Giffords was one of them that was within the scope. The idea being we should shoot Gabby Gifford. Of course, this did not exist. She, she, there was no picture that, was, that existed like that. And, and so she sued the New York Times for defamation. Chris, what do you think about this lawsuit? So it's hard to prove defamation of a public figure. Sarah Palin is a public figure. I don't think there's any argument on that point. She was on the vice presidential ticket for John McCain. She's been a talking head for Fox News. So the case actually has to prove actual malice that Bennett and the New York Times specifically went out and created this document and specifically went out for the purposes of blaming Sarah Palin for the horrific act of killing 11 people and wounding Gabby Giffords down in Tucson. Um, and that's what, that's what Sarah Palin's going to have to prove. I think that after her 15 minutes of testimony today, maybe Sarah Palin shouldn't take the stand. Why do you say that? And they should just, cause in, in one of the questions, as I was reading the transcripts previous to this is that, um, she said that the media has been lying to her, lying about her all the time. That's all they do. The New York Times lies about her. I believe the direct quote is um, under questioning. She said the New York Times. Uh, the question was, um, has the New York Times lied about you before? Sarah Palin's answer was yes, all the time. The judge stopped the questioning and said, can you point to a specific case? And she goes, I don't have the articles in front of me now. As you're in a defamation case, her lawyer should have been prepared with those articles. Right. Right. That her lawyer should have been like, yes, the New York Times does have a history of lying. This is why it's actual malice, because the New York Times does have a history of lying about Sarah Palin for political gain or whatever their slant may be. With Sarah Palin, sounds like she's going off script. And at a certain point in her testimony, she objected herself to the question that was being asked. Hold on a second here, uh, Chris. So, so she was testifying here. I, are we, are we suggesting here that the plaintiffs called her as a witness? I mean, well, she's the plaintiff here, right? She's um, the plaintiff. So the so lawyers called her as a witness. The, her own lawyers called her as a witness, right? Okay, right. and they asked her this question, and she responded by saying yes all the time, but had no specifics to back that up. Chris, that's kind of shocking to me. How, you know, when you do direct examination. It's of scripted. Your own, of your it, own it, witness. Exactly. It's your client. You put your client on the stand. You have already prepped your client. You've gone through mock trials. You tried right. this out in front of mock juries. You know how this is going to play out, especially in a huge defamation case like this. Surely they've done boots on this in mock yeah. trials. How could she not follow that up with actual examples where they misrepresented her and, and lied about lied about her. I would think that that's a huge failing on her part or her attorney's mm-hmm. part that she was not prepared. I would bet this, Chris, though, that before this trial is up, they will come up with those. Other oh, of course examples. they will. Oh, they will ham. Yes. My, my thought is though, and this, and again, I'm not a constitutional lawyer. I don't do defamation cases. Why was Sarah Palin needed on the stand? Well, why, you would, what would add to the case to have her testify? Here's why you'd want her to testify uh, is right. as to damages. And so she was, well, she's claiming damages here. And so you have to have her testify as to how this impacted her life. And so she did try to paint the picture as she's a single mom taking care of an elderly person and a disabled child up there in mm-hmm. Wasilla, uh, Alaska, where it's right. snowing, you know, 367 days out of the year. Yes, that's one extra day plus even on leap year. But you get yeah. the idea. She right. is trying to build up the, the sympathy there and the damages. She is such right. a small potato, Sarah Palin, in comparison to the New York Times. And Correct. So I'd imagine that's why they had her testify, but I sure but, would have thought they would have prepared her to answer that question, come up with some specific details. I mean, she's on the stand for 15 minutes. How do you botch 15 minutes of testimony with this? And again, this is us, right? We're quarterbacking from from our, our respective living rooms, but I want to see how this is going to play out tomorrow. And if I was their lawyers... I would 100% have those stories ready to start testimony tomorrow, and that's where I would pick up. 
Right. Like some some second year law clerk right now, some two L that's getting ready to work for a summer position right now is pulling every New York Times article on Sarah Palin to see well, where they let, lied. Let's cut to where this case is going to be decided. And so right. Sarah Palin's pack, uh, the, this editorial suggested via a graphic that the that uh, they put the crosshairs over depictions of the several right. Democratic members of Congress, including right. Gabby Gifford. Well, the person who did this, uh, the uh, Bennett was his name, he was called to testify this week, right. and he just admitted to it. James Bennett, uh, he told the the, the federal uh, court that uh, the jury that, yes, I did it. I'm not going to shift the blame to anyone else. For the record, I want to say I made that mistake. So do you think that's a good legal strategy on his part to just own up to the mistake? Saying, yes, I did it. It was my mistake. I guess he's trying to say he was just careless. And and don't look anywhere else but me. Is that going to defeat the claim of malice? I know this is going to be presented to the jury, but how do you think the jury right. is going to perceive that mea culpa? I think it would be better received than saying, than claiming, because the other the other defense is truth and fact, right? Rather than claiming like it's a true article, like it's true. The right. Sarah Palin, you know, talked to her constituents, told them that these Democratic Congress members were targets and that they should be taken out. And that's what one mentally uh, incompetent person took as let's go shoot Gabby Giffords Um, rather than saying truth. In fact, he's going to claim mistake. He's going to claim it was my fault. I took ownership of it. So that way it doesn't reach trying to negate that actual malice. Like we weren't trying to say Sarah Palin was doing this. We were trying to get a salacious article out about someone who's conservative. Sarah Palin has never once shied away from her love of firearms and the second amendment. So this just seemed like it would go together. We didn't think it was going to blow up this way. We made a mistake. We're sorry. We retracted it. So So I go ahead. Here are the actual facts of this case. There was a ghost, not a ghost writer, but there was someone else who actually wrote this editorial. And so she wrote the first draft of this editorial, sent it to James Bennett with an attachment of an article that countered this, that they basically proved, no, they did not have this graphic, that there wasn't this graphic, it was a different graphic. And so this attachment actually proved Otherwise, and this was sent to James Bennett. James then rewrote the article significantly. He said, no, we want to attack her and be much more aggressive and say, and say it's their their rhetoric that is, co- their caustic rhetoric that is causing all these shootings. So mm-hmm. this is going to be presented to the jury. Is there enough there for a juror to conclude, okay, yes, you did, you did know better. You had an agenda. You wanted to blame Sarah Palin yeah. for this murder and you knew better but you still ran with this article despite your better knowledge because you right. had an agenda to blame her for these shootings. There's enough. I think there's enough there for this to go to the jury. How the jury is going to decide, I don't know. But I will put it on the record. I am hoping for a jury verdict for Sarah Palin. I want people to be more responsible for what they write. And when they actually know that what they are writing is wrong, but they do it for a political purpose, I just don't like that. I know the First Amendment. It, it, it's going to be dicey there. You actually right. have to prove actual malice. But if you can prove right. actual malice here, I say, good for you, Sarah Palin. Go after him. Right. I And I'm totally there. If it's actual malice, I don't care. If you're left, right, center of your politics, actual malice is actual malice. And you got to get there. I also think it's funny that the case that is the leading precedent on this New York Times v. Sullivan is going to come around and hit the New York Times again because the New York Times is not learning their lesson of what actual malice is. Interesting. You're right. The New York Times is the one that's continually in the crosshairs. Bad pun, considering what this case is about, uh, regarding this actual malice standard. And so it is being argued right now. We will be following this case to see how it plays out. Whatever the jury verdict is, there likely will be appeals. But it will be very difficult to appeal if the jury decides, as a matter of fact, that this person knew what he was doing. Based upon the facts as we know them, he he had knowledge. This was actual malice to hurt uh, Sarah Palin. 
All right, that is Sarah Palin v. The New York Times. Let's move on now to a second case that we discussed last week, but man, has it stayed in the news, it has staying power, oh, and yeah. there has been some recent developments in this case as well. I am talking about uh, Brian Flores v. The NFL. I see we, are, we, we talked about this case last week. There's been a lot of developments. So where do you want to start in unpacking this case? I have a favorite story about this case, but I'm going to let you go first. Man, I've got a couple favorite stories about this case. Some of it is, let's start with Brian Flores' legal team. Okay. Has anybody seen Brian Flores' legal team? <laughs> I have not. Six white guys. Interesting. Six Why? white guys. I, that's the firm he went with. Right. Okay. But, but in a lawsuit that is all about optics and how things look, like we discussed in last week's episode, we don't think that it reaches the level of racism, but it does reach the level of implicit bias. Did Brian Flores pick the team that may be most intimidating to the NFL? Right. Could he be taken more seriously if he had all white lawyers advocating for him? Are you suggesting that Brian Flores engaged in implicit bias in selecting his legal team? Maybe. Wow. It's just one of the stories that I I looked at during this week was his his choice of lawyers. Because let's be honest, there's there's no shortage of civil rights lawyers that would have taken this case that reflect the same color of Brian Flores. There's black right. civil rights lawyers and being a national case, there is probably great interest in that. I found it funny that he, not funny. I shouldn't say funny. I ironic. found it. I found it ironic that he was engaging in the same type of implicit bias that he is accusing the NFL of as well. Since you mentioned that, that did jog my memory where I read this week that Brian Flores also, he was accusing the NFL uh, and the, these various owners of, of racism in selecting um, coaches. He, he used the statistics. Look how many, what percentage of these coaches are African-American, what percentage mm-hmm. of these uh, you know, assistant coaches are African-American. Look, that, that proves that there's racism that's going on in the hiring process, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting to note that he is an employer of assistant coaches. He right. has hired offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, and the like. And guess what? Also, if you look at the 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 race of the people that he has hired, only 25% or less were actually African-American. So he's engaging in the exact same conduct that he is alleging proves that the NFL owners are racist. And I find that rather interesting but nonetheless, um, uh, that's not my favorite part, or my, that's not my most interesting part of this story. Okay. What I want to focus on is his claim about John Elway. Do you remember in his complaint, he 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 tossed John Elway out there? Yeah. And and he said, he look. Drunk. Yeah, he said John Elway came into this interview where he interviewed me for a head coaching position there of the Denver Broncos, and he came in disheveled, drunk, things like that. And so he basically threw um, threw John Elway under the bus. You remember that? Yep. He yeah. did. He said John Elway came in like an hour late and like drunk, and it was just a giant waste of time. Now, here's why I'm bringing up the story. When you file a lawsuit, when you're a lawyer, you represent your client's interests, and those interests go beyond just legal interests. We also counsel clients on other interests that they have. And one of these interests would be his continued employment in the NFL. So what he actually is saying in this complaint, what the lawyers are saying in this complaint, they got to keep in mind. Okay, yeah, we're doing our lawyerly thing and throwing in there everything we can to help make our point, but you also got to consider how is this going to impact the client outside of the court of law? All right, that being said, this is what Elway's response was this last week. He was irate. He said, look, Brian made an assumption about my appearance and state of mind early in the morning. He said it was subjective hurtful and just plain wrong. Here's what Elway said. He said, if I appeared disheveled, as he claimed, it was because we had flown in in the middle of the night. We didn't arrive till middle of the night, immediately following an interview in Denver. You might be saying, well, why did you just fly in from Denver? Because we only had a few hours of sleep because that right. was the only window provided to us by, by Brian, Brian Flores. 
Exactly. So Brian Flores said, this is the only time I can meet. John Elway said, okay, we'll do whatever we can to go out there. So they finished the interview in Denver, hopped on a plane, flew, arrived in their hotel in the middle of the night, got just a couple hours of sleep. So John Elway is saying, that's why we might have appeared disheveled. Okay, that's a different side of the story. So right. you're going to throw John Elway under the bus and say that he is drunk and didn't consider your interview a uh, worth his time when there is a very much a, 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 a decent response to that action. Here's where I'm going with this. I, I wonder if Brian Flores didn't get another job in the NFL because if that is what he is doing to people, throwing people under the bus like he did with John Elway, what other employer is going to want to take a chance on Brian Flores? Any thoughts? Well, yeah. I also think... Um, I, I think he's done in the NFL. I don't think he's going to have a career in the NFL at all um, because of essentially what he's doing right now. He also threw Lovey Smith under the yes. bus. Right. 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 I mean, Lovey Smith, for those at home, got the head coaching job at the Houston Texans. He was in the Texans organization, if I remember correctly, and he got the head coaching job. Correct. Brian Flores said, great, this is what we want. But just so you know, I was in there running for that job, and I can't help to think that the Texans hired Lovey Smith so they wouldn't have to hire me. Probably, yes. probably they didn't want someone in their organization that they see as toxic. Like, probably they didn't want someone that they felt in their organization was uh, a current lightning rod for whatever's going on in the world. So that may have affected it. It also may be that they're promoting from the inside and Lovey Smith knows the program and can get up and running. There's a, a plethora of ways, but now you're alienating other players, other coaches by saying that they're only getting hired because you can't be hired. Oh, he, he threw Lovey Smith under the Hard. bus. And for your listeners who don't know, Lovey Smith is an African-American NFL coach who led a team, I believe is the, the um, Chicago Bears, to right. the Super Bowl. So it has a pretty impressive resume as a coach. I will say he deserves extra credit. Consider it two Super Bowls because his co his quarterback at the time was Rex Grossman. How he oh. was able to lead a team with Rex Grossman as the as a quarterback to the Super Bowl is an amazing job. I, I like Lovey Smith, though he he did he was a recent coach for the I believe the Illinois uh, Fighting Illini in college, and he they beat my uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers. That's a whole another story. But nonetheless, Lovey Smith got the, is a qualified coach to throw him right. under the bus. Not a good look for Brian Flores. That right. being said, I do think. Brian Flores might get another shot in the NFL. And the reason why, two reasons. One, he's an incredible coach. I think we all can right. admit oh, yeah. he's we an talk about amazing coach. His job performance there in Miami was nothing short of stellar. So you got to ask, well, why was he fired? I, I don't know the answer to that. It is possible uh, that, th well, let's go to the second issue. The tanking right. issue. The, the uh, yeah. the, he alleged that the ownership there in Miami was going to pay him $100,000 to lose games, and he would not agree with it. That was an unfair – if that happened, that was a very unfair ask by the ownership. So maybe there was some tension there. If it comes out – and this is my, my conclusion. If it right. comes out, and the NFL is going to investigate this – that that offer was made. And there was a witness right. this last week who vouched for what Brian Flores was saying there in Miami. If it comes out that the Miami ownership offered him $100,000 to lose right. games, that's going to basically wipe the slate clean. Right. All future employers are going to say, okay, that was a toxic environment. We're going to give him a pass. He yeah. was fired unjustly. He was wrong there. We're going to look past all these allegations, this lawsuit, and we're going to assume the best in Brian Flores, because of this, he's an incredible coach. It's all right. going to come down to he is an incredible coach. We want to win. And so we are going to hire Brian Flores if right. I think this tanking allegation is going to be his saving grace here. Right. If that is proved in some way, I think that oh, yeah. the NFL will strip uh, the ownership there of my, my Dolphins from the owner. And Brian Flores will see another day. I know I talked a long time. I gave you a lot of chance to collect your thoughts. Let me have it. The tanking issue is the huge one, right? We sports 
and, and paying people to lose games is so incredibly un-American that Democrats and Republicans and independents and everybody could get together and go, look, if you're paid to take a fall, that is not what sports is about. I don't right. if you're gonna lose, if you're gonna be the Detroit Lions and go two and sixteen, you're gonna lose and you're gonna own it. You are not gonna lose because you were paid to lose. That that goes against everything. And so I think that the whole league, and I agree with you in that analysis, that everybody will overlook everything, which I don't think will solve the problem of implicit bias in the NFL, right. but they will overlook everything if he can prove the tanking. If, if Flores could come in and go, look, here's emails, here's witnesses, here's checks paid, here's all the stuff that they were willing to do to have me tank these games, Flores is going to his stock is going to go back up because he's a moral coach and he's a winning coach. Yes. And so that's going to be good for a program. Now, the fact, go, go ahead. No, no, you go. I say, and the fact that he threw John Elway under the bus and these other things like that, the, the, the New York giants, right. People are going to look the other way and they say, look, They're you know really what? Not. That's just his lawyer doing lawyerly things. This guy right. is a winner. He was asked to take that discolors everything, and so right. we are going to give him another chance. I believe in the NFL, more than anything else, owners, GMs, presidents, they want to win. That is the yeah. bottom line. They want to win. He is a winner, and I know if the Chiefs had a vacancy there at their head coaching position, I would be all in favor of Brian Flores coming to coach us. Why? He is a winner. And so I want him. And there's no indication that he's actually done beating his, you know, spouse or engaged in anything right. like that. I, there right. is a line for me to draw, but there nonetheless, I, you know what? If he is a winner, I want him on our team. But hey, we have a great head coach here in Kansas City. So I am not asking yeah. for him to come anytime soon. Any thoughts on this before? Oh, one other thought I want to throw out there, then you can add anything you want. Mm hmm. I was analyzing this case this week and it dawned on me the one claim in this entire lawsuit that has the most merit was his claim, though he didn't make it directly, but the claim that the Rooney rule is yes. a violation of Title VII. Here's what I mean. The, under Title VII, you have to prove, you, you can prove discrimination in, in one of two different ways. One, disparate uh, impact. In other words, there's a neutral policy there at the NFL, and that neutral policy has had a disparate impact on a certain sex, on a certain race, on a certain protected right. class of people. Therefore, we are going to justify some kind of really good business reason why you should have this policy. It has a disparate right. impact on a certain race. All right, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is disparate treatment, which says, right. look, if you have a rule that targets people specifically because of their, their race or whatever their protected classification right, is, right, right. that's a different issue. All right, right. Here, you're not going to be able to prove disparate impact. There's just not the numbers to do it. We talked about that last week. Right. However, I am going to suggest the Rooney rule might fall under disparate treatment. And here's why. It is specifically treating employees differently because of their race. And he is claiming that the Rooney rule is causing him some disadvantages in the workplace. What are your thoughts about that? So his his thing is that the Rooney rule has created this fake idea or a token interview because the Rooney rule requires that um, NFL teams interview for the head coaching position or for any position, one member of a BIPOC class. Um, right. So... Uh, for those at home, BIPOC is black indigenous people of color. Um, and so the Rooney rule in Flores's discussion has turned into this. We're just going to bring in a token person just to meet the Rooney rule. And we're not going to take them seriously because we're just going to hire whoever we want to hire anyways, but we're meeting the rule. So the spirit of the rule and the implication of the rule is that it's just there to have a token black person come in or a token Hispanic person or indigenous person come in and interview. And he's saying that's what's ruining it is that they only take me for interviews because they have to interview a black person. Now, the NFL might respond by saying, but we have a valid reason for the right. Rooney rule. We are trying to, to fight uh, mm -hmm. our lack of diversity. So we're using this rule for a good purpose. 
Okay, I, I get that. Right. However, I still think if Brian Flores' claims are true that the Rooney Rule has caused disadvantage to people of a race, that actually has the most merit in this uh, of all the claims here because this is disparate treatment specifically based upon race and, and minority status. And so I think that is something that even though people were well-intentioned, it might end up having the most merit in this lawsuit. We're just going to follow and see where that goes. But I right. do that. That was my analysis this week. Any thoughts before we move over to the most important topic, which <laughs> is the, the Super Bowl? Um, I do think that if the tampering charges do come to fruition and they find out that the Miami ownership is tampering, trying to tank games, I think that's going to overshadow the entire case, which is because it's easy to prove and it's neutral and, and it's everything that we hate. We can all get on board with that. I do think that the NFL really needs to look inside and see kind of their implicit bias and have some addressing of that internally. What's going on? How are we treating people? Do we have an implicit or unconscious bias? By definition, it's not going around and saying, hey, NFL owners, you're all racist. It's let's talk about some of the biases that we have developed over time and how we can have a more equitable decision process. And that's something I think needs to be looked at in most organizations, including the NFL, and go from there. And I feel that it would get overshadowed if the tampering is true. But I also want the tampering to be true because I hate the Miami Dolphins. That's a whole different issue. (laughs) Interesting. Um, You want them to go down to suffer disappointment. So why not pile on? Right, exactly. But I think how it shakes out, it's going to be interesting to follow. And I know that we're going to have commentary for a while because this isn't going to be something that just goes away next week. And I am wondering when my take from last week might ever get some traction because no one is right. talking about it. Where Still I li- I listed all of the the best coaches in the NFL. I just did a quick Google search and I looked at the best coaches in the NFL and in college. None of them had NFL experience as a player, and so my right. thought is, why are you comparing the NFL fact players. that a certain seventy percent of the players? are of a certain race, but yet they don't have that same percentage of representation amongst the coaches. And my take was, well, it requires a different skill set. Right. Last. And so if you are a head coach, someone explained to me why the talent, the skill set to be a head coach should be something different than the representation of the general public, you know, mm-hmm. the general public's percentages, you know, why is the, the skill set required for a head coach? Something different than that. I, I just don't understand uh, how that, that works. But nonetheless, um, hey, maybe someone will pick up on that take at some point in time. But it dawned on me as I was thinking about that issue this week, <coughs> excuse me, that um, if you did not have a successful playing career, that right. actually gives you a leg up in being an NFL coach. Do you know right. why? Tony Dungy, John Madden. All right, those are all great examples. But uh, my right. reason why it was going to be, it's, it, it's obvious. You get an earlier start. <laughs> if you play in the NFL, you have a longer career. These coaches, they start as grad assistants. They even start while they're in college. Hey, I couldn't make the team, and so I'm going to go ahead and carry someone's clipboard. They get their start in coaching at a much younger age. Look at Tom Brady as a horrible example. He's 45 years of age. If he now enters the, the coaching ranks, he's 25 years behind others in getting mm. their start in that, the, 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 in that, that um, career. So it makes sense that if you yeah. don't have an NFL career, you actually have a better shot of, of being a, an NFL coach. NFL coach. My last take on that was going to be, there's this thought <laughs> to get women coaches. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there are some women coaches now in the NFL. Right. So the thought, if it is true that playing experience makes you a better coach, then, then why would there be female coaches in the NFL? Right. Right. And we know, and we know that, Coaching is a different skill set from playing. It's a hundred percent different skill set from playing. It's, I mean, my my eldest brother is the strength and conditioning coach, or was the strength and conditioning coach for the Cincinnati Reds, and he he knows all the. I mean, he has a master's degree in kinesiology. He understands all the 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 thing about it, and he's a great coach. Wasn't a great player, not even a little bit. Not even on Sundays. Right, so, right. Sean, if you're listening, you know you sucked, buddy. Like, let's just do this. <laughs> That's right. But he's a great uh, 
you know, and I, I think about that in a lot of different places that, you know, you're a great coach because you have a different view on how everything pans out. Makes sense. This is a great segue to our courtroom quarterback segment. Let's do it. So I, I, this is Super Bowl week, and so I know oh we just gosh. lost half of our listeners because they just stick around for the legal analysis. Hey, everyone loves free legal advice. Be careful what you ask for. You get what you pay for, whatever. Right. Uh, but you and I love sports, and so we want to talk some sports at the end of our podcast. And so it's time now to throw some shade your way. Did I use that phrase right? If I say I want to throw shade at you, am I dissing you or am I complimenting you? I don't know. It is not a compliment. Shade, salt, not a compliment. That's what I meant then. I'm throwing shade at you. I want to make sure I'm using that the right way. You and I have been doing this this, uh, throughout the entire football season where we've been trying to send a message, a positive message to the young people out there who are thinking about gambling and we want to say no do not do that gambling is wrong do not go to vegas and give them your money it's addictive you will lose all your money you'll be in the poor house before you know it begging for alms i don't even know if that's a thing but nonetheless that was that was our purpose right that was our intent right yes chris we did a a horrible job at that we failed you failed miserably I failed even more miserably because right. we ended up being highly successful in making our gambling picks. Chris, really I did. have no idea. Here are the numbers for the season. You were 60 and 47. And so that is a winning percentage. Actually, I don't know the percentage, but you're plus 13. And so right. if you have a calculator there, you can run those numbers up. But nonetheless, I was 63 and 42. I was plus 21. We right. both started with $500. So then I would have ended up with 710. And you would have ended up with um, 630. Well, I guess 630, which means you. Okay, I can do this math. You increase your investment 26%. I increase my investment 42%. And so I can do that math on the, the fly there. Nice. So, yeah, we are not very good at, at um, um, teaching the lesson. But nonetheless, we have one more chance to teach the lesson. So we're going to we do. do that right here. We are going to make our Super Bowl picks. And so, Chris, first, I want to hear from you. I want you to play Doctor Who. Do you watch? Have you ever? Do you ever watch Doctor Who? I do watch Doctor Who. All right, the the TARDIS. Yes. Yeah, my kids got me into watching that, so I, I watched Doctor show. Who. It's, it's a good lot, show. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I I have not seen it since. There there was a woman doctor. I watched yeah. that period. I have not seen it since. I don't know if there's a new doctor since that point in time. My kid went off. To, Zach went out to college, and so I haven't really followed Doctor Who as much. But I like the show. Right. I'm saying next. I want you to go ahead in time to Monday morning, and and mm-hmm. you you go on to ESPN, whatever show you know, yep. news site you use for your sports news. What is going to be the headline as the main storyline about the Super Bowl? Ooh. So when we first had this discussion, I was going to say Joe Burrow wins in overtime. Okay. And 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 I and I want I want that to be the win cuz we've only had one overtime Super Bowl and this whole playoffs have been so close to overtime every time. I want to see a yes. Joe Burrow wins in overtime uh type of play. But I have a feeling that it's going to be something along the lines of like Matthew Stafford finally or like the Colt something to do with Matthew Stafford finally winning the Super Bowl. The problem with this is, is I think that the Rams are going to win, but I'm going to put all my money on Cincinnati. I'm going to, I'm betting because it's a four point differential, but I'm betting all my money on Cincinnati because I think even if the Rams win, it's going to be by a field goal. It's not going to be, it's not going to be by anything other than that. Interesting. You are going with the, the, the Rams winning, by less than four, so you are taking the the um. Let me let me be clear here. Now you are taking the the Bengals. I am taking the Bengals. Joe all Burrow. Right. There you go. You're putting all of your money there on the line in one last ditch effort to help these young people do not gamble. It is right. just a waste of your money. All right. Right. You mentioned Joe Burrow's. I think that's going to be a very compelling storyline 
from this Super Bowl because, Chris, he has the chance to be on course, on par for being right. the greatest quarterback of all time. Let's he consider does. this. He had the greatest season ever in college with the senior year right. when he won uh, the, the, the national championship for the uh, uh, LSU Tigers. He won the Heisman Trophy. He was that was considered the best season a quarterback has ever had in college. Right here's here's a problem when that happens. When you have that great of a season, you are usually selected as the number one pick in the draft, which means yes, the do. worst team that existed the previous year. You are now the leader of that of that team, which it's a crappy team. It takes right. a while to for that team to come up to speed. I am not sure I've ever seen another case, another situation where a team took a number one quarterback, using number one pick for a quarterback, and right. was in the Super Bowl by year two. two. And remember, Joe Burrow was out year one. We got to remember that he tore his ACL year one, so he, he was out. So technically, this is year one for Joe Burrow. That is an amazing storyline, how he, he resurrected that team, brought them from the trash heap up to the Super Bowl, and if he wins the Super Bowl... Wow, I am not sure right. I know of another example of a, of a quarterback performance like that one. So he has within his grasp of dictating and writing the, the opening chapters to the greatest career we've ever seen by a quarterback, which might be fairly interesting, since a one to Tom Brady just right. exited stage left. What a nice transition. Of course, I am saying this with great amounts of pain. Because I think Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback ever. But nonetheless, I gotta <laughs> just call it like I see it. If Joe Burrow can do that, what an amazing storyline right. that, that that would be for Joe Burrow to uh, lead his team to, to a Super Bowl victory. I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen. Right. I don't know. I got to. I have mixed thoughts. Here's what I know. Matthew Stafford languished. By the way, he was a former number one draft pick. Uh, you saw how that how things went there in uh, in Detroit. But he was a former number one draft pick. had had yet to win a playoff game until this year. Right. But apparently, he was pretty clutch. He actually has, I think, the most fourth quarter comebacks of all quarterbacks playing right now. So he's a yeah. fairly clutch quarterback. He has a lot of skill. He has receivers. The handwriting is on the wall here that the Rams are going to run away with this pick. And so you are going with the Bengals. I am going to have to go with the Rams to cover this. And I I, I don't, love it. I know I just talked myself out of, I just pumped up Joe Burrow. But since when do we ever have these Hollywood endings to these scripts? That would be a right. perfect script. It's not going to happen. Here's what's right. going to happen. Matthew Stafford is an amazing quarterback. But he has an amazing tandem of receivers. His, his right. number one receiver out there, Cup, is, is the best. Cup, yeah, yeah, the best player in the NFL, possibly an incredible yep. season. But then you have his second receiver, OJ, uh, OBJ, OBJ, and and OBJ. Here is the deal, and you might not know this, Chris, but NFL players tend to be greedy. Have you heard oh, that before? I that news at eleven. They love coin. They, they love, love coin. coin. They love to make it rain, whatever. And so this <laughs> is his contract year. And so yes. he's, he's going to be a free agent. If he has an incredible Super Bowl, the storyline is going to be a $100 million man right there. OBJ is now going to yeah. write his paycheck of over $100 million. He's still young. And I think he could have an incredible Super Bowl. Here's why. The defense can only be can only shut down one person, and they are going to be focused on Super Cup. Cup. Oh, for which sure, is going to leave OBJ open. To, and he is he has enough star power. I think this is his time. This is his moment, and he is going to grab that moment. He will be the Super Bowl MVP. So write it down. Uh, take it to the bank. I am taking the Rams. See how I win from. I have no idea what I'm saying to be so emphatic. Yeah. I'm guaranteeing it. That's just how I roll uh, out here. But nonetheless, that's going to be my pick. Hey, what does your dog say? Uh, Daisy right now is angry at the Amazon guy for making his second delivery package <laughs> of the day. Hey, I like Daisy. What kind? Of, what kind of dog is Daisy? Daisy is a black pit bull. There you go. 
Yeah. All right. She, she is. She's the best little dog. She is. Look, if you break into my house, all of our listeners, she's going to roll over on her back and show you her belly because she wants to be loved. <laughs> but if you wear an Amazon shirt, she is going to murder you. And then she's going to find it. your family and murder them. And then she's going <laughs> to. Hey, I love Daisy. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you, you know what? You just went up in my esteem level about five points there. Nice. I did not realize you had a pit bull. Oh, yeah. I now view you in entirely a different light. Now, I know I'm not going to change in your esteem, but you will. <laughs> you should know that I have a, um, a Shih Tzu. Okay. And <laughs> it just gets worse from there because really now does. I got uh, last week, we went and got a... A, a golden doodle. I can't even say that word and keep my man card. Oh, what? A golden doodle? Oh, I love it. Chris, no, I it gets love worse. It. It it's gets hypoallergenic. Worse, it, it gets worse here. I'm getting two. I got one. The second one is coming here in two weeks. I'm going to have two puppies in my house. Two uh, golden doodles with a shih tzu. And I drive a minivan. Chris, what is happening to my life? I don't know, Joel, but we need to have a talk, man. I just bought a brand new four-wheel drive pickup truck last week. I got a black... Get out of here. Yep, I got a black pit bull. Um, yeah, I guess it just... It is what it is, Joel. I mean, we, we make the lives that we want. We is choose that how our you destiny. Roll? Is that how you roll in Arizona with your brand new pickup truck? Oh. And your, your your pit bull by your yep. side? That's right. People need to know. I got my giant Biden flag hanging off my black lifted pickup truck. It's It's a beautiful thing around here. Well, now you ruined it for me. But nonetheless, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm going to match your black pickup truck with your pit bull with my golden doodle and shih tzu in my <laughs> Honda minivan. So that's how I roll. Nonetheless, oh, I'm envious. I need a name for my dog. Well, what's a good name? I was thinking it's going to be a cute. So my wife named our, our first golden doodle uh, Zoe. Okay. okay. So her, her name is Zoe. I got to name my golden doodle, and I am thinking of Beatrice. What do you think? Look, for a guy who's trying to get back his man card, <laughs> I feel like Ivan, something like tough. I, it is a girl dog. It will be a it female a dog. So I'm not sure Ivan is quite there. Go, go with Kellyanne. Kellyanne. That's interesting. All right. Yeah. A little bit go, of... go biblical. Go Soraya. Soraya. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll throw these by the boss and see what she <laughs> thinks. I went with um, Beatrice and Eleanor. I got shut Ooh, down, shut Eleanor down. Eleanor is a good one. I liked, I just saw Gone in 60 Seconds. So I thought Eleanor, that was the name that, of the, yeah. the car at the end. A nice Mustang, right? Eleanor is a oh, good name. That. Right. Yeah. No, she shut it down. Yeah. Don't so. go with Karen. Stay away from Karen. <laughs> Okay, you, you know what? I'm going to go upstairs now and run that by the boss. We're going to try Karen. I like it. Hey, Karen. Karen, can you give me your Karen? This is, my, this is my golden doodle Karen. She wants to speak to your manager. <laughs> okay, that is good. I like that. All right, that being said, let's, let's wrap this up now. Have a great week, and we will talk during the Super Bowl and talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. Mm -hmm.